Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon, along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. The scripture lesson for this 19th Sunday after Pentecost comes from the 14th chapter of Luke, verses 15 to 24. Let us listen to God's word taken from the parable of the great dinner. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I've just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, sir, what you ordered has been done and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A number of years ago, I had an opportunity to attend a professional golf tournament called the Masters. It takes place each year in Augusta, Georgia. And while I'd driven by the course many times over the years, I'd never been inside the gates. And so when the clerk of session in that congregation invited me to go with him for one round, I immediately said yes. When we drove into Augusta that day, we could see all kinds of signs symbolizing what was happening you could see on the marquee of restaurants and hotels words of welcome to the, the golf participants coming as well as all of the fans. A marker at the entrance to gas stations and shopping centers would tell the visitor what the daily parking rate was there. You could see people standing with little signs looking to either buy or sell badges, which is how you got into the tournament and youth groups selling bottled water. All of those kinds of signs were the ones that we expect to see at major sporting events these days. And yet there was another one I saw as I was getting closer to the course itself. A man was standing on a curb on the opposite side of the street 
from where I was headed. And this particular sign was, on, was hand-printed on a piece of paper and attached to a stick. And as I was walking in that direction, I saw on one side it said, repent or perish. And then as I got closer, the sign turned around and said, turn or burn. Unlike all of the other signage that had been present in that community, this man silently was talking about things unrelated to golf. As he was calling upon people to change their ways and to commit their lives to Jesus Christ. I prefer to think that as I was walking across, it was just random which side he chose to show me as I was nearing him. For clearly in that moment, he was calling for a response and one based upon fear for all those who were present in that community. In some ways, it was appropriate that I got that message in Augusta. For the man who taught me the most about salvation, my father was born and raised in that community. He went to many tournaments over the years as a boy too, and in our family, we had this autograph book that he would use as he was present at the tournament, and you see some names in it there like Hogan and Sneed and Jones. And then on one page, there was this eight-year-old signature of one Lee Willingham. My dad grew up to be a Presbyterian pastor as well. And while I'm confident that he never called upon people to change by saying, turn or burn, I suspect he speak, spoke frequently about the whole need for salvation, maybe even preaching on the text before us today. For those words came from an occasion when Jesus is having a meal in the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, and as he was wont to do, he used that moment as a teaching opportunity. Just prior to our passage, he had noticed how guests, as they would come into the house, began to scramble so that they could get closest to the host at the dinner table itself. And so he said to the, his fellow guests that in the future, when they go to a meal, they, they shouldn't try to navigate those kinds of prime seating places, and if they were hosting, that they shouldn't only provide a meal when the guest could repay the favor, but instead, in all things, to reflect this kind of humble spirit. It is then that our passage begins. As another guest says to Jesus, blessed is anyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. We don't know if that individual was aware that Jesus was talking about spiritual things, or, or maybe he was just trying to fill an uncomfortable silence that had taken over the room. But in either case, Jesus told them a parable. It's the story of a man who decides to host this great dinner, and he extends the invitation to his guests. And then, when, in fact, the meal is ready, he sends out a servant to all of those confirmed participants, telling them that it is time to come to the house. But each of the one who had previously committed to being part of the meal now come up with excuses and don't come. 
The host is so incensed that he sends the servant out again, this time to bring in the hurting ones of their community. And when that doesn't fill the space, he sends them out one more time, saying, compel them to come in so that my house might be filled. All the commentaries that I consulted agree that what Jesus is talking about in this story is salvation. And he's using the image of a banquet to speak of this heavenly celebration that God has in mind. And yet, as is often the case for us when we are looking at his parables, there are these cultural nuances in his words that can be missed by those of us who live in the West. And so, I want to give you some background that might help you understand maybe what Jesus was saying in that moment. In that era, it was not unusual for any dinner party to have two invitations. The first one was extended at some point prior to the event, and once someone had agreed to come, they were honor-bound to participate. In the second invitation, it came because people had not yet gathered at the house, unlike what we do when we're going to someone's home for a meal and are waiting for it to start. Rather, people would wait in their own homes until they got word that the meal was ready. And they had to come because the meal could not wait for another day. Well, in the case of this story, those who'd already said they would participate in the banquet began to offer excuses. One says, well, I've just bought a field and I have to go inspect it first. Please accept my regrets. The second one says, well, I have purchased five teams of oxen and I must go out and see how they work together. Please accept my regrets. And third one says, I have just been married, so I won't be able to join you either. Cultural experts tell us that each of those responses was a bold-faced lie, as no one would buy a field without inspecting it first. No one would buy teams of oxen without seeing beforehand how well they work together, and no one in a small village would plan a dinner party on the same day as a wedding celebration because everyone in the village would have been invited to it. And so it's understandable why the host becomes so angry, because he knows they're just making up excuses. So he sends his servant back out and says, go out and bring in the poor and the lame and the blind and, and have them come into the banquet. And the servant says, well, we've already done that, and we still have plenty of room. And so he sent out one more time with the instruction Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house might be filled. And it is then that Jesus concludes the parable by saying, I tell you, those who refuse the invitation will not taste of that meal. Now what we have, really, if we look at this as an analogy, is a description of Jesus' ministry as it unfolded, because it began with his fellow Jews. It was broadened to include those Jews who were on the margins of society and ordinarily would not have been included in such celebrations. 
But then it went beyond even that, as did Jesus, going beyond the Jew to the non-Jew to the Gentile. And so what we have is this glimpse of God's persistent love, of the, of the broad ways in which God continued to extend that invitation so that all might come and share in that heavenly banquet. And so it's a glimpse of good news. And yet towards the end, we hear Jesus use that phrase, compelled them to come in, which could sound something very close to that turn or burn sign I witnessed long ago. But was Jesus somehow suggesting that God would force people to believe? Sadly, there have been countless occasions over the millennia when, when people of faith were so passionate about sharing the good news that they heard it in that way, and so they would under duress force people to speak words they did not believe or to respond only on a basis of fear. And yet, this is another one of those moments when our hearing of that word misses the tone Jesus intended. Kenneth Bailey, a professor who taught in the Middle East for decades, says this about this particular moment. In the culture of the Holy Land, he says, the unexpected invitation must be refused. The refusal is all more required if the guest is of lower social rank than the host. The norm is so ingrained, he said, that the unexpected guest may be half-starving and in real need of the offered food, but he senses a deep cultural pressure to refuse. In this parable, Bailey goes on, we have a classic case of an invitation from someone of a higher rank. A stranger from outside the city is suddenly invited to a great banquet. He is not a relative or even a citizen of the host's city. The offer is generous and delightful, but, thinks the stranger, he cannot possibly mean it. After some discussion, the servant will finally have to take the startled guest by the arm and gently pull him along. There is no other way to convince him that he really is invited to the great banquet, irrespective of being a foreigner. How could it be true? Asks the outsider. The host knows that this kind of shock and unbelief will face the servant messenger at every time, so he instructs him to overcome reserve and unbelief by the only method possible with a smile grab them by the arm and pull them in. Demonstrate that the invitation is genuine. Compel them to come in. I think that was the tone that Jesus had in mind when he spoke in that parable about compelling others to be part of it. This sense that this gracious invitation is so generous, so unexpected, that individuals will be compelled to accept it. In our faith tradition, we teach 
that salvation is a gift from God, an unexpected and undeserved gift. It is not one for us to determine who will accept it. It is not for us to determine the reach of God's grace either, but instead to do our parts in helping others experience it for themselves. For we do have a key role to play in how others hear and respond to that invitation still. Next week, we will have our latest offering of the Stepping Stones class, a place where individuals who've been thinking about joining our community of faith take that next step. As part of that class, every time we host it, we ask these new members how they came to make that decision. And their stories will always vary. They're unique to who they are as individuals. And yet, woven throughout all of them is this sense of the welcome, the spirit, the music, the sense of mission was so compelling that individuals wanted to take that step. That's our part. And it has always been a key part of how it is that people hear and accept that ongoing invitation from God. In a book called The Society of Salty Saints, there's a true story told of that kind of experience for a man named Chester. Chester had struggled with alcohol for years and finally began to turn things around. He entered into an outpatient treatment program and at the same time started attending a congregation. And after a few months, he decided to join it and he made a profession of faith. And quickly thereafter, he became very active in the church. He would cook in some of the meal, midweek meals that the church offered. He, he ran a clothing closet the church had for homeless neighbors. And so one Sunday, he was asked to speak before his congregation. And he got up there that morning in a brown suit that he had acquired from the clothing closet that morning and said to his fellow members, people ask me all the time how I was able to stop drinking after 45 years. They want to know how it is that someone like me is now cooking meals, is now running the clothing closet, is now reading their Bible, and he says, it's simple. I found Jesus. I'd heard about him, of course. I'd heard he was in the Bible or in some church somewhere. And I went looking a couple of times, but I never found him. But then I came here. And I saw him in the faces of the members in this church. And I knew right then I wanted to be part Jesus tells this wonderful story about this banquet to which God continually invites persons to come. And he made clear that God was not trying to have people say things they don't believe. That God is not one who seeks to evoke fear 
to engender that kind of response either, and that God is not deterred by the kinds of excuses that human beings still are prone to offer. But instead, that this gracious invitation continues to be offered to all humankind in the hopes that yet others will accept it for themselves. And to do so, not because they think they must turn or burn, but rather because they are convinced for themselves that they want to come and see. Let us pray. We give thanks, O God, for the incredible gift that you have offered to each one of us and for the ways that you often speak those words, demonstrate that life through frail people like us. Help us to recognize those opportunities that you still place before us each day, that even through us, others might begin to hear for the first time the invitation that still is extended. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.